welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Brock Edwards, and this is the podcast where we're looking for ideas and inspiration to take that next step or even that first step, get out of our own way, get unstuck and get moving, what, whatever it is, whether we're talking about in our business, our career, or in our life. And one of the common threads is we look at all the guests and it's a wide ranging guests. I mean, we've got people from musicians to authors, to speakers, to activists, uh, to entrepreneurs and like consultants, huge range. But the common thread is that all these are people who have really kind of ignored the common wisdom and charted their own path and found success in their own way. And I'm always fascinated by that and what we can learn from them. And today's guest is absolutely no exception to that. Trisha Brooke, and she's talking a bit about heart-driven communication. Actually, we talk about a lot of things today. She has a great quote from the interview, and she says that any door I couldn't get through, I would just build my own. Love that approach. And so from this episode, get ready to learn about communication, leadership, intuition, and tenacity. Now, Trisha Brooke is an international award-winning director, producer of Speakers Who Dare. She's a writer. She's a coach. In fact, in this episode, we cover a lot of topics. We, we talk about leadership and getting the best out of others. We talk about listening to and learning from our own intuition. We discuss lessons learned from her setbacks, handling rejection. How do you decide which projects to pursue? I mean, we've all got a lot of different opportunities, a lot of different paths we can go. How do you narrow it down to which to choose from? And then she talks a bit about public speaking. And for those who are nervous about public speaking or want to find ways to do it better, she really talks about how do we get out of our own way and get past the nerves of public speaking so we can show up, we can have that strong presence, and we can share our important message with the world. Love this episode. I invite you to dig in. Please, if it strikes a chord with you, share it with other people that you know that you think might learn from it and benefit from it. Now, the past couple episodes, if you haven't heard them, speaking of people who go their own way, we've got Maria Kellis. And she talked about how she helps high achievers transform their lives, and she bridges the worlds of business and spirituality. And that sounds a little odd, perhaps, but she has she started with three degrees from MIT and had some life events happen where she really started looking at, okay, what's beyond kind of the rational mind, and, and how do I prove it to myself, and how do I bring more energy, more intuition, more creativity, all that? How do I bring that into my life? And then how does she share that with others to help other driven people kind of step up to that next level. And we also, the episode before that, episode 81, we had Dr. Max McEwen, and he talks about rules for rebels, mavericks, and innovators. How do you make innovation practical? Um, Dr. Max is one of my favorite business writers, and he is able to break things down, take really complex ideas, break it down, make it very simple, easy to understand, and most importantly, easy to apply. If you haven't already, give those episodes a listen. Now let's jump in and talk to Tricia. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. And of course, this is the podcast where we're speaking with people to find ways to get out of our own way, to get unstuck, to take that next step. And today's guest is Tricia Brooke. Tricia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Brock, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. I think uh, leading with imperfect action is such a powerful idea, and I'm super excited. I am the executive producer of Speakers Who Dare in New York City. I'm the former executive producer of TEDx Lincoln Square. I also am the founder of the Big Talk Academy, and I curate the Speaker Salon, where I put speakers on stages. It's like an incubator for the speaker. Um, maybe you could also say it's a it's like a 
open mic night for stand-up comedians. So I'm super excited about putting people on big stages and on big screens. I'm also an award-winning documentary filmmaker. I have two films right now that are circulating the Academy. And I get up in the morning in order to make the world a better place by elevating people with important messages to um, big stages and big screens. Tell, tell us a little bit about your journey, because that's a lot right there that we could unpack. You've got a lot going on, but how did you get there? I moved to New York City to pursue a career in dance when I was 20 years old. I had a very successful career. I toured around the world, danced with incredible contemporary classical modern dance companies. And I realized that when I was done, when I'm off stage, the impact is limited. It's over. So the impact that I had on people was limited to A, the number of people in the theater and the number of minutes that I was on stage. And I loved being an artist. I'm still an artist. I love being on stage and dancing. But I realized that it was important for me to have bigger impact and to reach more people and to leave a much longer legacy in the world that I could by just being a performer. So I moved into choreography, which was a natural organic segue from dancing. And then I moved into directing and writing and producing. And three years ago, a friend of mine, Petra Kolber, who's an incredible author, thought leader, speaker, she said, I just booked a TED stage and I need you to direct me. And I thought, well, that sounds super fun, like a one-woman show. I'll dramaturg the script. I'll give you blocking, choreography. We'll work on the intention just like an actor. And that's exactly what we did. I loved it. It was really fun. And I never thought about it again until she planted the seed that I should do this. And I thought, hmm, uh, how do I do this? And I decided to begin working with speakers because they had such important messages that I wanted to share them and their messages with the world. And before I knew it, I had all these speakers and nowhere to put them. So the next normal step, logical step for me as a theater producer is to put on a show with all these speakers. What's the best show for speakers? TEDx. So I got my license produced TEDx Lincoln Square with Jamie Broderick, who became my visibility coach as well, because I had zero online presence and went from working alone in showbiz to all of a sudden producing speaker events. And Jamie and I produced TEDx Lincoln Square for two years. I decided to move on from them so I could have more creative control and now produce speakers who dare. And I just love it because Although my actors are amazing and I love them, it's really all about them. When I'm working with speakers, it's all about the idea. So together we get to put this message out into the world and have massive impact. All right. So there is a ton I want to touch on there. And even just going back, you, you mentioned that you'd had a successful career in dance. You know, moved to New York City, followed your dream, got successful. And it seems like that's something that so many do and yet aren't able to break through. So what was it that made the difference for you? Besides having tenacity, drive, grit, and discipline, there was never an option. I never saw no. And any door that I couldn't get through, I would just build my own. And I think that's the difference is when somebody says no to you, it it means not yet. There's another way in. There's another way around. Or there's another path for you. For me, it was just about being consistent. You know, you continue to show up, you, you stay in the game, the turtle wins the race. And then late, later on in your career there, so uh, you, you persisted, you became successful, you traveled the world, 
And then you mentioned that this whole series of things that have overlapping skills, you know, you mentioned you moved into choreography and then directing and then writing and producing. And yet, at least from the outside, all those seem like very distinct skill sets as well. And how did you develop just such that wide range of skills? Sure, sure. It was a really organic progression. But what they all have in common is really communication. When you understand the art of communication, whether it's through physicality or uh, speaking or communicating to a team about what you need to happen in terms of producing, that's all about communication and leadership skills. And I was unaware that I had really great leadership skills until I began working with speakers and working with all of my community in terms of what I needed from them. I knew how to get what I wanted from an actor in a, in a rehearsal space and from a stage, because in order to get an actor to become vulnerable and to play a scene truthfully, I have to create a safe space for them. I have to make sure that they trust me, that they trust everyone else in the room, that becoming vulnerable and potentially making a fool of themselves is not going to be uh, faced with resistance, but it's going to be accepted and, and faced with love. So that for me was what I'd always been doing. When I began to apply that technique to speakers and to events and to really leading my speaker community, whether it's speakers who dare or the speaker salon. I was just putting into practice what I've been doing my entire life. And then I, I realized that this is bigger than me. And so my desire to create an army of authentic, heart-driven, dignified communicators is what I'm planning to do. <laughs> so, so an army, that that's pretty ambitious. Thank you. Well, so... What are some of the realities there? So, I mean, because we can look at, at the list of everything that you mentioned you do, and that all sounds, well, it sounds pretty amazing. I mean, obviously, it's been a career. You've worked hard. You've stayed with it. Um, you didn't let yourself get stuck. You know, you, you had that tenacity going for you, and you've developed a, a skill set that's, as I said, kind of complementary, but it is separate. It's a pretty wide skill set. But one of the questions I often ask guests is, you know, kind of the the dark side to living the dream. You know, what what are the the downsides or the the pieces to the job when you when people say, "Wow, that's amazing what you get to do," you know, in the back of your mind, you're kind of thinking, "Yeah, but you're not seeing this about it." Right. It's constant rejection when you're in this field of work, whether it's performing arts or even speaking. You are living with constant, repetitive relentless rejection. And that is something that people forget. So when you are un, when you, when you clearly understand that this is just part of the deal, it's part of the job and you accept the rejection as protection, as a friend of mine says, or as a not yet rather than a no you. And I don't think it's thick skin. I'm not somebody who walks around uh, jaded. I, I am not a thick skinned person. I'm a very open, um, open hearted person. It's really about just moving on. And I think this is what the imperfect action is all about. When you hear no, turn it into not yet. When the door won't open, build your own. When you get rejected over and over again, trust that it's because it's not meant for you in this moment or something better is. And that's why people don't see behind the scenes in terms of the constant no, the constant rejection, the constant shows that fall apart or the shows that almost make it to Broadway, but don't quite. 
or the movies that you can't get made because you've raised all but $25,000 and then the bank closes. So there's all of these amazing, crazy obstacles that happen every single day, but you just got to keep showing up. Well, how do you differentiate when, when you're getting all this, this rejection, basically this feedback uh, about your ideas or, or, or your skills, how do you differentiate between when it's just a setback, you just need to persist versus, okay, the time's not right right now, we'll put it on the back burner and come back to it later versus, you know what, the world's just telling me it's not a good idea. <laughs> Great question. I think you have to trust your instinct. I think you have to make wise decisions in terms of your family. I think you should make wise decisions in terms of your investments. I would never say persist and throw all of your money at it until you and your family are homeless on the streets of New York. That's definitely something you have to be clear about. But when you're creating, when you are innovating, when you are determining what's possible, it takes heart. It takes intuition. It takes uh, rolling up your sleeves and doing the work. I think it's a combination of all of those things. Um, I think it also takes desire and and the dream to see what other people are not yet seeing. You mentioned in, intuition there, and uh, this may be a tough question to answer just because if you're naturally intuitive and you trust your intuition, you may not have given it much thought. But you know, I, I suspect a lot of people don't trust their intuition or have a hard time differentiating you know, between that, that gut level truth and now this is just kind of the gremlins in my head talking to me. And so I, I don't know if you have any advice on how do you listen to your intuition better? The first tap on the shoulder is when you need to listen to that intuition because it always comes. Everybody ignores it. And when you're listening to that, that little whisper, do some analysis, do some reconnaissance, do some, some backstory research to find out if A, you can shift what the outcome might be by doing, by making a different decision or by having a conversation with the person. If it's about somebody do some homework before you make a final decision, but absolutely listen. And I'll give you an example, Brock. I had a speaker who I had a feeling about, and I didn't trust my instinct. I didn't trust my intuition or my gut about this speaker. And my gut was telling me this person's going to be um, very high maintenance, very difficult to work with. But the idea that this person was sharing with me was so fantastic. I ignored my whisper. And of course, this person was very difficult to work with, caused a lot of stress along the way. And I can promise you, I will never not listen to that whisper again, because I could have had a conversation. I could have done some homework instead of just thinking the idea is amazing. I'm going to move ahead and ignore my, my intuition. So I say, everybody has that knock. Everybody has that tap. Everybody has that whisper. If you're unwilling to, if you're willing to do a little homework when you hear it, rather than just ignoring it, it will always serve you. So you talk about intuition as a whisper. Has your intuition ever yelled? And, and I ask this because, I mean, there, there was a moment in my life when I was thinking about a, a, an opportunity and I was excited about it, going forward with it. And it, I mean, it was just kind of the, the bolt of lightning, <laughs> eyes opening, just this very loud and resounding no 
in my head. And, and so I let the opportunity go. And, and I don't know if it was going to be a bad opportunity or not. It was just, it, it wasn't intuition that I could ignore. It was just kind of the yelling. And, and I don't know if that was just a unique experience for me or if you've experienced that as well. I had a big moment in November of 2018. I was sitting in my kitchen and I had a download. I have to move. And I thought, oh, I hope my husband comes with me. <laughs> it was such a big yell, Brock. I just knew I had to move. There was no reason we needed to move. We weren't talking about moving. We had an apartment that wasn't going to go anywhere, but I just heard it loud and clear. And that was the moment that I had to listen to. And it was a huge moment because in New York City, you don't move when you have a great apartment, when you have a great lease. And it was just something I had to listen to. And it was my most successful negotiation of 2018 as well, because I did talk my husband into moving with me. So now we live on Alvin Ailey Place. I'm a former dancer, as you know, so that's a big deal. I get to watch the dancers out my windows every day. And we have light, we have sunlight. So the whispers sometimes come in the form of yelling, absolutely. And I definitely listened to this yell without knowing what the outcome would be. So what was that intuition telling you to, was it just get away from where you are now or was it a compelling no move to this neighborhood? It was move to a new apartment that has the kind of windows you need in order to expand your business and to expand your creative output for your clients and actors. Interesting. So what, what you know, I've got to ask, what, what is it about the windows? The windows bring in light. They give me an opportunity to see what's beyond. It is massive expansion. And the download was you have to expand and that's going to require you moving. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I've, I've never actually, I don't think, talked to anyone about that. And uh, but, but intuition's kind of fascinating to me because I tend to be uh, probably overly logical and ignore that part uh, unless it's really loud. And yet there are so many times looking back, I either did pay attention or I didn't and I regretted it. And so um, I guess I'm just always fascinated by that. I can't explain it, but this is the direction I need to go. I think there's something that people forget is that they know they get a whisper, they get a yell, they get a tap. However, whatever form it takes, we hear it. We just ignore it. And that's because we are afraid of what we can't see, feel, or literally hear. And so when, when that knock or when that tap or when that knowing happens, it takes a lot of courage to trust it. And that's where people make the mistake is they don't trust it. I encourage people who are experiencing any kind of, huh, to explore it a little further. Well, we were talking just a, you know, a little bit about you, you've had this uh, amazing career and, and it's progressed and changed and morphed. Uh, and, and if you're comfortable, I mean, this is imperfect action. So what have what have been some of the setbacks for you? Because obviously this wasn't, you know, just a, a straight line of success. Where, where have you found yourself stumbling and uh, actually even better, how has that helped you progress? Great questions. I've had two knee surgeries, a foot surgery in terms of being a performer, lots of physical setbacks. I was also slated to direct the new Broadway musical about Johnny Carson, which was a huge deal because it was mostly a, a male 
creative team and to bring in a woman to tell the story of one of the most iconic men in the world was epic. And we were working on this together for almost two years. I was helping the writers with the script. We were doing showcases. We were, I was working with the actors. It was incredible. It was going to be an amazing opportunity, a great show, all of this. And then it just fell apart. That was really, really difficult because I had spent so much time investing myself and my creative energy and my dreams into this project that when it was over, it taught me that nothing is forever. Everything is meant to happen exactly the way it's supposed to. And it's really about recovery. That kind of experience teaches you how to recover really quickly because I have other things to be doing. I have other projects to be working on and movies to be making and actors to be directing and speakers to be supporting. So if we get caught in all of the rejection or the things that are imperfect, we, it, it's, it prevents us from moving on to what we can be contributing with. And that's really great lesson that I learned. Well, when you're thinking about taking on the the different projects and and all the different things you have going on, um, how do you decide what you want to do? If there's a project that I'm passionate about, that is the first, the first yes. If there's a project that has a support system behind it, whether it's a team or investors, that's the second thing I'll look at and think about. I always lead with what's going to be inspiring and elevating in terms of my creativity. I want to continue pushing the limits with what's possible in terms of producing shows being fulfilled creatively, which is why I'm creating this army of heart-centered communicators who understand the dignity behind communication. It is literally my mission to teach people and to support people in how they show up and communicate, whether it's on a stage or not. And that's why Speakers Who Dare is so important, is that everyone can be a speaker who dares whether they take a stage or not. So if I'm inspired and, and moved and pushed beyond my current limitations, then I'm going to say yes to a project. So you've, I mean, you mentioned speakers who dare and public speaking for so many is so scary. I mean, I think it was Seinfeld that, that joked that, you know, people would rather be the person dead at the funeral versus the person giving the eulogy. Yep. Uh, because, you know, because we, <laughs> death is less scary than, than public speaking to many. And yet you you have these people, you work with people. So where do speakers tend to get in their own way? When they make it about them, that's when the nerves happen. When they make it about them, that's when they start imagining all of these worst case scenarios. I'm going to faint. I'm going to die. I'm going to get laughed at. My shoes are going to fall off. All the things that happen in a speaker's mind is because they're making it about them. When you lead with the idea and you remind yourself that by sharing this important idea, you are going to impact the people in that audience and they're going to go talk about it. And then those people are going to go talk about it. And you have this massive ripple effect, which leaves the legacy of your idea. That's why it's so important for people to take stages and to trust that with the proper technique and rehearsal process, You'll be able to move past your body betraying you, which is sweating, 
shaking, dry mouth, and move through that and get to the other side, which is sharing the idea. So anybody who wants to take a stage can take a stage when they stop making it about themselves and focus on the idea. You know, I, I recall, and uh, unfortunately, I, for, I forget the the root source of this, but someone was talking about that the difference between uh, two famous performers, I think they were musicians, but one was talking about just how, how horrible their stage fright was and asked, well, you know, what, what were the symptoms that show up? You know, oh, I, you know, my mouth goes dry and my stomach starts churning and I feel lightheaded. And, and then they were talking to the other performer who said, you know, I, I love that moment before I go on stage. I get so excited. And they said, well, well, how do you feel about that? Oh, you know, my mouth goes dry and my stomach starts churning and I get lightheaded. And, you know, the exact same symptoms and such a different mindset. And how, how do you help people shift that mindset? Like, yes, we're going to be nervous because we care, but how do we get to the part where that nerves is just a part of excitement? I do an exercise with my speakers and my actors, and it's the same exact thing. I give them something to do. If you are on stage and you are so scared and you are terrified of being in front of people, but you really know you want to deliver this conversation, this talk, and all of a sudden I give you something to do, or if an actor is in a scene and they can't play it, they're faking it, they think they're acting and it's just, it's schmacting, there's nothing truthful about it. I will give them something to do, whether it's walk across the stage and pick up an apple or whether it's clear the stage of all the stuff that's on it. And I'll give you an example. One of my speakers, James Lucas, who is an incredible, incredible heart-centered man. He's a vegan. He talks about what it means to eat vegan, to wear vegan, and to not go to entertainment where they're using animals. He's super, super passionate about animals. And he was on stage delivering his talk at the speaker salon, and he was so nervous. We all just wanted to hug him. There was nothing. We couldn't even listen because he was so nervous. And so I said, James, I'm going to just put a bunch of stuff on the stage. So I, I put brooms and stools and chairs and I just filled the stage with stuff. And I said, I want you to clean up the stage for me and give the talk. Everything changed. He was doing something. And that took his mind off the performing, off of the delivery. So if you are nervous, start to walk around your your house and clean it up. Do the laundry, do the dishes, give yourself an activity so that you're not thinking about the performance of the talk. And you begin to separate the nerves from the delivery. The separating nerves from de- delivery. I've never heard it put that way. That That's kind of interesting. Well, I'm going to shift gears a, a little bit here. And you had mentioned leadership skills. So kind of a similar question. Well, I, I actually, I've got many questions going on in my head right now, Tricia. But uh, one of them is for you, what is your most valuable leadership skill? I'm an exquisite listener. When I hear what my speakers or my actors are saying and really understand that and process that and then direct them in a way that they feel safe and protected, then I get what I want out of my my actors and my speakers. And it's really my responsibility to create an environment where it's safe, but where they also trust me. Just like kids wanting boundaries from their parents, actors and speakers want to know they can trust you with their best interest. And how do you develop that trust? I think it comes from 
not just like a, a speaker has to make it about the idea and not about them. The same thing goes with somebody in charge. If you walk into the room and it's all about you, everybody knows that everybody feels that and they're going to not like it. If you walk in the room and make it all about them and the show and the event and how to work as a collaborative team in order to lift up that event or lift up that show as a community, then everybody plays as a team. And that's where that, that incredible, beautiful room full of uh, speakers and actors all work together for the same goal. You, you mentioned heart-centered communicators. Uh, and for you, what does heart-centered mean? It means that you are conscious of the words and the importance of those words and how they're going to affect anybody who hears them. So what does that, what, what does that look like, or I, I guess sound like since we're talking about communication, uh, for a speaker? So speakers working on their, their presentation, their speech, how do you get them focused on heart-centered versus just well-intended? That's a great question. I think well-intended is absolutely amazing. And I'm really more speaking broadly. There's nothing coming out of Washington right now that's heart-centered or dignified. And that is what I'm talking about. When we are stepping into the world as communicators, whether it's on stage or on the subway, we have a responsibility to think about what we're saying, how it might affect everyone that we're speaking to. And I'm not saying we can't have differing opinions. I produced a television series called The Big Talk Over Dinner, specifically to teach people how to sit around a table, have a meal, and have people with differing opinions like leaders, like uh, politics, immigration, race, gender, marriage, arts and entertainment, and leadership. Those are all big subjects that not everyone has the same opinion on. However, when we're heart-centered, dignified communicators, we can speak about things that are differing in opinions and still be thoughtful and mindful as human beings. That's what I'm talking about. Well, two, two final questions for you then here, Trisha. First one is, where can people find you? You can find me at trishabrook.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-B-R-O-U-K. And I'm all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, LinkedIn also. Excellent. Well, then the last question that I ask all guests is, how can the listeners help you? What would you ask of them? I would love your listeners to ask the question, am I being a thoughtful and dignified communicator? Nice. Well, thank you so much, Tricia. This has been fun. Thank you, Brock. <laughs>